Trigger Warning, Emotional Abuse and Racism. Welcome to Uncensored Sass, the podcast. My name is Julia. And I'm Rye. In this podcast, we discuss facts and our opinions on a variety of topics. This week, we're discussing fatphobia, rooted in racism. This episode marks the beginning of an ongoing series, Breaking Down and Understanding Fatphobia. Episodes within the series will not be consecutive. Okay, so before we get started, I just want to put it out there that fat is not a bad word. So try not to feel uncomfortable. Don't be concerned about upsetting me by using the term fat. Fat is not a bad word. Fat has been used as a weapon, but it is not a bad word. I just wanted to be clear for our listeners because some people call themselves fat and that's not a self-degradation. It's just like saying they have brown hair sometimes. Like... Yeah, I'm fat. Whatever. So, what is fat phobia? Do you have a working knowledge of what fat phobia is? Well, we've talked about it in the past, but prior to that, I did not. I think the first time I ever heard that term was when you brought it up a few months ago. We had talked about doing this series. We had talked about what fat phobia is, and you had mentioned a little bit about your experience with it. So, the term fat phobia was not in my vernacular prior to meeting you. So that is a privilege I get for being your friend is getting these new terms. <laughs> these new terms. Well, with that knowledge, can you kind of give me like a rough guess of what fat phobia is? So, I mean, in the name, it says fear of being fat or fear of fat. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But then the idea of fat phobia, initially, it makes me think that you're either afraid of fat people or you're spreading it's like fear-mongering of fat Mm -hmm. like don't be fat because you will get sick and you will die or don't be fat because you will be shunned from society yeah so you're not far off yes fat phobia is directly defined as the pathological fear of fatness now that umbrellas the obesity stigmas social stigmas medical stigmas discriminatory behaviors Whether you are attracted to fat people, whether you don't want to become fat, whether you heckle and harass fat people, all of that is encompassed in fat phobia. And so Wikipedia actually defines fat phobia as the obesity stigma broadly defined as a bias or discriminatory behavior targeted at individuals because of their weight. Now, that doesn't just go for fat people. You can be fat phobic to thin people too, which is really crazy to think, but it's true. So what happens is that society or individuals can comment on someone's weight, fat or not, and make them insecure and think that they are fat, weaponizing the fatness, thus furthering that they are not good enough. And that can cause a lot of internalized fat phobia in that thin person and a lot of later in life repercussions, medical repercussions, mental illnesses, eating disorders. Now, here's a term that I actually didn't know. Can you tell me what fatmesia is? It's F-A-T-M-I-S-I-A. It is also umbrellaed underneath fat phobia, but it is a term into itself. Sounds like a medical disorder. Right? Yeah. 
but no, I don't know what mesia means. I'm not fluent in medical ter terminology, if that's where that comes from. I'm also not fluent in other languages. So I don't know where it comes from specifically, but it is the essential idea of prejudice plus power. And so it is anyone of any weight or body type can have and exhibit size-based prejudice. But specifically, in European and Northern American societal standards, slender-bodied people hold more societal power. And so it is that prejudice plus the power that slender and thin people wield that that is what fat mesia is. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's prejudice plus power. And so it's essentially how that would translate in the real life is a fat woman and a thin woman apply for a job. They're both equally qualified. They're both equal in every way except for their size. The thin woman gets the job over the fat woman. The thin woman is chosen because she is not fat. Not to say that she's any less deserving, but like that would be how it's a real world application of that prejudice over power. Like she's not being prejudiced, but the power that she has as a thin woman got her that position. I can see that being an issue. I think it is important to make the distinction of the type of job, whereas this analogy is supposed to be any job. I think certainly beauty and fashion would be a little bit more geared towards being prejudiced, whereas something like a retail job should not be and would still be just based on societal standards. Yeah, and you know, I, I think it does happen majorly in mainstream media, fashion and advertising, but it does happen in retail. If you ever go into a plus size store, you're more likely going to see plus size workers. If there were like reverse prejudice plus power, the reverse Fetmesia, that would be it. But then also retail locations like American Eagle, Hollister, they tend to hire more of like aesthetically pleasing, societally beautiful people, which includes the slender physique that you expect to see in an American Eagle or a Hollister. And so it's, it's very much like that also. But yeah, I think it's most prevalent in advertising and in media than it would be outside maybe the real world, but it, it does happen a lot. Just in like regular jobs where you wouldn't think it should matter, but it does because people have prejudices. Yeah, which as a thin person, it doesn't make you feel any better knowing that you got the job based on your looks as opposed to what made you qualified for that position. Oh yeah, and that's a whole other can of worms, but absolutely. And it's nothing against the woman who got the job, because obviously she's also deserving of employment. You think that you're X amount of qualified, that's why you applied. To find out that like there may have been somebody who was turned down that may have been more qualified than you for this position doesn't make you feel great. It makes you feel objectified. Yeah, and that's that's a side effect of it. So I think it's pretty common knowledge. I mean, anyone who has visited Western medicine, you hear a lot about BMI. BMI is pretty heavily relied upon as a benchmarker of health and as associated with weight. What do you know about BMI so that I can kind of have something to work off of? So my experience with BMI, I know what it stands for, body mass index. The thing about your BMI is that it's a, it's a sliding scale depending on your height, 
your starting weight, your age, and can change throughout your lifetime. It's not a hard science. Mm -hmm. The BMI is a quantifiable measurement of your weight to health ratio, but it's not what you should be determining your health factor on. Just because you're in a good BMI does not mean you're healthy. Mm-hmm. And the better way for you to know is to measure your fat percentage. And even then, you can still have underlying conditions that may make you unhealthy. You could have a thyroid issue. You could have a hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. You could just be genetically bigger than the person next to you. So a BMI is, in a lot of sense, it's a way for people to measure how fat they are from home without having to go to a doctor. Yeah. Here's my follow-up question. Do you know why it was introduced to begin with, why it was created? I don't know too much about the history. I do know that my experience of a BMI has been varied, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Saying that I'm in a BMI, a healthy BMI, only helps comfort me to think that I'm not obese as opposed to underweight. Mm-hmm. And I've found out over the years through trying to diet and adjust my own weight that BMI is kind of crap. Yeah. Me as a person, my BMI, um, my unhealthy BMI is only about 25 pounds heavier than my normal body weight. And my underweight BMI is about 130. Mm-hmm. And to be 130 for me would be extremely unhealthy. I would be shaky all the time. My blood sugar would be fluctuating, mostly low. Mm. I've been 130 before and I looked anorexic. Yeah. And that is what the BMI tells me is still healthy, but on the low end. Yeah. So I I feel like I'm about to rock your world. (laughs) So in the 19th century... Belgian mathematician Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelt created the body mass index. His body of work has been noted for identifying the ideal man. So what we're using today has been established by a man for men and really not even as like health. It was more for aesthetics than anything. And it wasn't until the 20th century when insurance companies started using the BMI to determine what to charge their clients. That's the only reason we even use the BMI. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me because, again, I had said, like, oh, it's the uh, how you can track your fat from home. Well, insurance people aren't doctors. They're not medical doctors. No. And why would they consult a medical doctor? Then they'd have to pay that person. So if they could just use some chart they found online or in some catalog from 200 plus years ago, why wouldn't they do that? Well, what happens is that when you go to the doctors, they weigh you. They take your height and they have your age. So they calculate your BMI. That's part of your charts. It's used in doctor's offices, and all that information is sent to the insurance companies. So they've got it. They've got it from doctors. But this mathematician, when he wasn't looking for the ideal man, he was studying astronomy. He wasn't a doctor. So it's like this thing that was never intended to chart health is now the champion of thinness and healthy lifestyles. Because heaven forbid you 
have a genetic disorder. Heaven forbid you are a little bit bigger muscular-wise. Heaven forbid you have a hormonal disorder. Heaven forbid you have an eating disorder. It has nothing to do with health, and yet it is the benchmark for health. Yeah, and the fact that it was made by a man for men doesn't surprise me either, because in a lot of the fitness and wellness that you see, it's it, there is a huge male aspect to it, and mm-hmm. there almost feels like lately, like within the past like 20, 30 years, there has been a stronger movement for female fitness in media, and I say this because like I'm remembering like when growing up and even before I was born the female ads on TV of working out, the women in the spandex and all that. But when you go to the gym, it seems very much geared towards men. And as a woman trying to understand how to do something or trying to work out in a co- co-sex, co-ed uh, type gym, it definitely feels like there's certain things that I'm not supposed to do as a woman. Like, I'm not supposed to bench press. I'm not supposed to do pull-ups. I'm not supposed to do, like, dumbbells. But men do them all the time. And there's this stigma of being too muscular as a woman. Like, that's gonna happen, right? And so you start working out and you get this idea of, like, I don't want to be too muscular. I still want to have my feminine body. Yeah. But a lot of the fitness and a lot of the idea of dieting is very much geared towards men. You got these protein shakes, these protein powders. And you almost feel like you have to go specifically to a female gym that is geared towards your type of fitness, like you as a woman. And then you think about diets and how they don't talk about how women's weight fluctuates over time. Oh, yeah. Your your weight fluctuates throughout the month. So your BMI is fucking crap. It doesn't matter because... You, if you're on the teetering edge of healthy versus overweight, the beginning of the month, you could be healthy. The end of the month, you could be overweight. Yeah. Because you, because your weight fluctuated by 10 pounds. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hormones are awful when it comes to our BMI and our weight fluctuations. And just to kind of tap back to the, the fitness that you were talking about, a lot of these beauty standards, it's set to the male gaze. Because they stem from a time when women didn't have influence. And so the female gaze didn't really matter. That's not to say that Chad that works out and doesn't sexually harass women that are in the gym is wanting Brad's approval. It's just a fact that he's existing in a system that was built by people before him. And he's just existing in it. So I don't want anyone to feel like I'm attacking gym guys. Like, I'm not. You're just existing in something that was made for men by men and not necessarily for women or by women. But the fitness atmosphere, we've always just kind of been given gymnastics and dance and swimming and jazzercise and group working out so you can gossip afterwards and and so that's kind of like where we have been 
as women pigeonholed to exist in the fitness arena. And personally, I'm going to be up in the mirror. I'm going to be doing weighted squats with the guy next to me. I'm not for that. I enjoy group classes, but like I'm there, I work out, I leave. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand like those, why those stereotypes exist outside of they were made by men. And so like when someone like you or I gets up on the mirror on the rack and we get those looks like, what are you doing here? It's like, well, yeah, because you expect me to be in some kind of group class. Yeah. And another aspect of it, too, is that some of the some of the workouts that are available through the machines or through the equipment in the gym don't adhere to the female form, the female body. So like weighted squats, if you are a woman that doesn't have a lot of abdominal muscle, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're doing something like dumbbells or the, I forget what they're called, but they're like the butterfly press where you push your arms out and then you pull them in kind of a situation with the weights. I don't, I don't know workout equipment as well as I should. Yeah, that's fine. But it can hurt your arm and tear your muscle where your armpit meets your breasts. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it's not natural or not supposed to happen. A woman can certainly work out the same way as a man and get similar results. But there's also the aspect of what if she doesn't want that? The equipment is still geared to do the same thing. So you have to work out in a different way to achieve different results. And you have to do so in different increments. Yeah. Like me and my boyfriend, we started working out in like 2018. We started working out together at home. And then eventually we had to go off separate paths because after a certain point... What I was doing was too little for him. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't do the same things as me anymore. And I didn't have anybody to work out with me. And not knowing a lot about the fitness industry, not knowing a lot about how to work out as a woman, I kind of had to stop because it's like, I'm not making progress and I don't know where to go from here. Whereas he had a buddy to go work out with. Yeah. This is a huge learning curve. And a lot of these machines... Although you can adjust the weight, they weren't designed with the female figure in mind. Although nowadays, at least in my experience, they have options for height and arm length. Because I remember when they were like a one-size-fits-all machine, whereas now, in my experience in going and exercising in a gym, that they have a lot of like customizational options for that now to accommodate those different sizes of people. Just to kind of bring it back, I kind of want to come back to this female form and then kind of touching on the BMI a little bit because BMI is not healthy for everybody, especially fuller figured women. And I kind of want to touch on like where that comes from because not a lot of people understand why they don't like fuller figures, why they don't like fat people. And that comes from slavery, essentially. And a woman by the name of Sarah Bartman, from what I know, her full name is Sartje. It's spelled S-A-A-R-T-J-I-E. Bartman, B-A-A-R-T-M-A-N. She was also known as the Hottentot Venus. Hottentot is known and renowned as a slur, so I'm going to be referring to her as Sarah. And because Hottentot is a slur, for me, Venus, it's like the goddess of sexuality and femininity. It seems a bit tongue-in-cheek. And so this woman, who was a slave, passed away in France, and her body was set 
on display as an oddity or a freak show in France. And so this almost demonizing of her figure, which was wide hips, large rear end, large stomach, and given this is post-mortem, she has passed away and has, her remains have been put on display. And so we don't know the level of decomposition that she was in and if her features were even accurate to her living features. But so this demonization of these round hips, like really full rear end and like thick stomach, it was all seen as odd. It was all seen as less than. And she was referred to as a chimpanzee. She was referred to as animalistic, less than human features. And so started this craze to have middle-class white women to watch what they ate so that they did not look like Sarah Bartman. And then that kind of stuck. At this point, it's generational. So this dislike of the black woman's figure is so deep-seated that people don't understand that when they see a woman of any color, or even a man, men deal with this too. I just want to be clear. Men deal with this too, but most of what I will be speaking on is the woman's experience because am one. Yeah. I mean, you sent me the images and just looking at the her body ex exhumed as opposed to what it might have looked when she was alive knowing how old some of this information is it's frustrating that you don't get a clear picture of who she was as a person prior to her death the only aspect of her that you would see is what they saw after they exhumed her and then did a diagram or drew up her body and that's it's enough to say that let alone to base beauty and bodily health standards off of her dead body. It's unrealistic, to say the least, that that's what happened. She's no longer living, and she was a single person, so not everybody's body is gonna look like that, let alone when they die. So you could go exhume, like, five other people and they won't look like that. So I feel like she was an oddity in real life for them to want to exhume her body like maybe she was a plus-sized person walking around in real life and so they had to have a reason to exhume her body in the first place and she spent her life in france and she was a slave in france and so it's entirely possible that she was never buried and so probably she like passed away and then was immediately sent to the oddities for whatever money that her owner could get out of her. So we just need to keep that in mind that she was probably never even given a proper burial, at least to start with. I'm sure she since has been treated with the utmost respect, seeing as her, her remains were sent back to South Africa in 2002. But yeah, post the display of her corpse, lots of propaganda and cartoons came out exaggerating her features. And then there's cartoons of her with men measuring her butt. There's images of her existing 
in this incredibly insensitive racially like powered attire and then white men and women just <gasps> appalled and disgusted and so then in that same time you see women white women portrayed as these beautiful tall slender physiques and then a bunch of this anti-fat propaganda comes out so although i wasn't able to find anything that straight up mentions don't be like her it is odd and coincidental that around the same time that she was exhumed and all these comics were being made about her exaggerating her figure that all of a sudden we have this boom of anti-fat propaganda and it's really disheartening to see because before then famously renaissance figures were covered in rolls and they were soft and they were squishy bodies and they were absolutely glorified but the second that a slave's body represents those same ideals in her figure rationale changes to oh no they're over sexual they have too much sex and they eat too much food so you don't want to be like that one and it's just unfortunate that came about yeah it reminds me of this idea that you don't dislike somebody you dislike what you see in that person that resembles the things about yourself that you don't like so then you go about changing those things in yourself so that you're less like that so for example if you see her big round bottom it reminds you of your big maybe not as round bottom and so you don't want that on yourself and so you change that about yourself and you make her this ideal image of disgust yeah she's something that you don't want to be because she was seen as less than human and so to look like something that was less than human they couldn't imagine anything worse like that was as bad as it could get for them socially and that's very much what fat phobia is centered around today is the idea that thin people are so afraid of looking like fat people because of the propaganda and because of the media because of what they were told is supposed to be a healthy body what a healthy body is supposed to look like and so they in turn see fat people as less than healthy and then less than human and then it escalates and then it causes internal issues with the thin people who start to basically almost kill themselves because they don't want to be fat they would rather die of starvation than be looked at as fat and that is just as awful for thin people who deal with that as it is for the person for the fat person who basically is the image of everything they don't want to be i think both parties suffer because society has told us that those ideals are ugly yeah and to know that it has very little to do with your actual health is very frustrating because a lot of what you hear in the adverse communities for fatness is that it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. It's not curvy, that's fat. Mm -hmm. You're promoting 
unhealthy lifestyles, you're promoting heart disease, you're promoting diabetes, obesity, to accept your body for the way that it looks. Yeah. If you're comfortable in your own skin, you are promoting an unhealthy lifestyle. Absolutely. Number one, my health, not your concern. It's nobody's business but mine and my doctor's. But everyone makes it their business. And that's what's harmful about it, is that everyone feels entitled to give medical advice when they don't know anything. And a lot of these same diagnoses happen to thin people literally all the time. Literally all the time. And so sometimes it's genetics, sometimes it's hormonal. As women, we bear the consequence of family planning. And if you know anything about family planning, you know that means we get birth control as soon as we're sexually active. And birth control has a laundry list of terrible, terrible side effects, some of which is weight gain. And that's, that's on a hormonal scale. And that is difficult, almost impossible to reverse. So when it comes to like medical fat phobia, they throw us on birth control and then tell us to diet, which is bullshit. Because it's like, look, you prescribed me this thing. The side effect was I got fat. And now you're punishing me for a side effect that I had no control over. My diet hasn't changed. My level of activity has not changed, but you throw me on this pill and now I'm fat and it's my fault. Let me try Weight Watchers. Yeah, and a large part of that is because hormonal birth control tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant. And that's how you don't get pregnant because your body already thinks it is. Yeah. A side effect of being pregnant is weight gain. Yep. Because your body has to gain the weight to feed the unborn fetus growing inside you. Mm -hmm. That's why you would get fat. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's not even that your body's like, oh, suddenly now I'm more prone to being fat because I took a pill or I'm having sex, it's, no, your body's trying to compensate for the fact that you're trying to convince it that it's going to give birth to a baby. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And so there's a lot of issues that come alongside it. And at the end of the day, doctors are people and they have their own prejudices. And I don't have the statistic in front of me, but fat people, mainly black women, get some of the worst care when it comes from medical professionals just because of prejudices and bad systemic information because for a long time they thought that black people experienced pain differently than white people which is just untrue but so the medical field behaved in accordance to that belief for a long time so i kind of have like a love-hate relationship with the medical field because of that because ultimately you want to believe science and, and medicine and you want to eradicate diseases and stuff like that. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that there are sexist and racist practices within it. Within yours and my lifetime, the National Institutes of Health changed the definition of overweight and obesity. In doing so, millions of Americans became fat, even if they didn't gain a pound. So I think we've all seen the statistics, like the charts of obesity in America and how it's been spiking, which causes a lot of that mania and fat fear. But that was all caused because the definitions of fat and obese changed. So now people who were previously not considered fat are now considered obese. 
and nothing in their individual lives happened. But when you lower the standards for what is considered fat, you innately create millions of fat people. Yeah, it's this idea of if you lower the bar to, like, anything. (laughs) That would happen with anything. If you start saying, like, smart people are this amount of intelligence, then you can lower and raise that bar to any to meet any standard. So anybody can be a genius. Anybody could be really fucking stupid. So you start setting the bar, you have to have you have to draw a line in the sand somewhere, right? And you can then lower and raise that to meet the standards of what you think it should meet. Because it is a human created thing, so a human can change it. It's not based off of your physique. It's not based off of your personal health. It's a standard across, it's a wide stroke across the nation. And they reset it, they changed it to basically meet whatever needs the World Health or U.S. Health wanted it to meet. Thus making people who weren't previously considered overweight or fat, now fat. And uh, just to touch back on the BMI real quick... One of the things that I thought was really ridiculous is this idea that if you are in a normal BMI, you are in between underweight and overweight. And you go too low, you're now underweight. If you go too high, you're now overweight. For me, I weigh about 165. My overweight is 175. If I go above 175, I am overweight. You have seen pictures of me. You've seen videos of me. Do I look overweight? No. Do I look like if I gain 10 pounds, I will be overweight to you? There's no way. Yeah. If I'm 175, I am overweight. Yeah. No. And the lowering of the bar, all that did was create a panic, a fat panic. And if you'll remember, in the early 2000s, what was the standard of beauty? Britney Spears. Christina Aguilera. And these women were unhealthy skinny. They were visibly in pain, and you could see their bones, and that was what we were supposed to look like as the beauty standard. And so when they lowered it, they lowered it and caused this massive panic, because honestly, the people who were then considered fat when they weren't previous, they're not fat. They were just made to believe that they were fat, because someone decided that skinnier is prettier. And skinnier is healthier. And that's just not the case. Yeah. In 2009, when I graduated high school, I weighed just above or just below right around 130. Mm -hmm. 130 is the cutoff for me. 130, 135 is about where my BMI says any lower than this and you're underweight, right? Mm -hmm. So I was right there. Still considered healthy, by the way. So skinny that when I had my monthly... You could see from my outside, you could see my ovaries. Oh, wow. You could see my inflamed ovaries. You could touch them and feel them. That's... Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And that was considered healthy. Yeah. that I was still within my BMI range of being a healthy person. And when my mom took me to the doctor when I was still in high school, the doctor told her she has perfect body fat. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't be able to examine someone's ovaries from the outside. No, and this freaked people out because I noticed it because 
during the rest of the month, it was fine. I could put my hand above, an, you know, touch my stomach and everything was fine. Then my monthly came around and suddenly there, there was these bumps right in, like right past my, um, my hip bone. Bumps that weren't there a week ago. Those were my ovaries. They're supposed to be protected by your fat. That's why we have fat, to protect our organs. Your ovaries were not being protected. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, my mom takes me to the doctor when I'm in high school, and the doctor tells my mom that I'm not underweight. I have perfect body fat. She comes home, brags about this to her friend who is overweight. Oh, no. And the entire household then hates me because I am perfect. Perfect. And I get this stigma of being the skinniest, perfect, beautifulest person in the household where I'm both hated and put on a pedestal. Oh, no. Expected to maintain this ideal image. Yeah, and, and I kind of had the opposite. When I graduated high school, I was 160. 17, 18 years old, 5 foot 2, 160. Looking back, I was a perfectly fine weight, right? When I was a kid, I was always the fat friend. I was literally always just the, oh man, when, you know, X happened, you just blew up. You just swole up like a, like a fucking balloon. And, and hearing those comments my whole life, I remember walking to my dad one day and I was like, dad, I'm going to be 99 pounds and I'm never going to gain another pound. And I remember him just looking at me and going, that's not healthy. But like at the time I didn't register it because I was so against hitting that 100 mark because I was tired of being the fat friend. It has caused lifelong mental damage for me. When I was 18, I was living with my grandmother at the time. And my grandmother is a wonderful woman. She just has had some tough times. And I may have some issue getting through this because it's tough, but I'll do it. So I was living with her. And I was very depressed because I was in a town that I didn't know anybody my age. And I was going to college for the first time and I didn't have anybody that was familiar to me around me. And so I think kind of we all go through that for a little bit. That kind of like, I don't feel prepared for this depression where you know nobody and I'm completely, I'm incredibly socially awkward. I don't think anyone would be able to tell by my stream, but very socially awkward. So it's just me and my grandma and I come in one day and I come to do laundry and I'm literally just like in a tank top and sweatpants because they're clean and I guess she was having a bad day but she looked at me dead in the face and said that I was disgusting and I was fat and nobody would ever love me because I was fat and it took a toll on me. Wow your grandmother said that to you? She was projecting, but yeah, she was projecting and I don't hold, I don't hold it against her now, but uh, yeah, because at the time she was much larger than she is now and she felt bad about her. And so she was just outwardly saying to me what she had been saying to herself for years, you know, since her husband passed away. 18 was a tough year for me. But it was also a year where I kind of took ownership of my body. <laughs> but I was 160. 
I didn't look like I looked now. But I look back at photos of me from that time. I looked great. Like I was, I was great, you know, and a whole life has happened since then, you know, diagnoses have come and, and a lot's happened. But that's, that's what it's like experiencing fat phobia in real life. You're told that you're less than. You're told that you're disgusting. And it's often by people that you love. And that are supposed to love you. And it's kind of just one of those things where... In that moment and looking back... I refuse to do that. I refuse to hate myself so much... That I bring other people down. So when people get mad that I'm outwardly loving myself and my body and they get mad that I'm glorifying obesity. Fuck yeah I am. It's glorious because this body has got me through everything. Despite myself I am still here. I just want to like say we are the exact same age. There is maybe a week between our birthdays. Yeah. When we were 18 I was 130 and you were 160 and I'm only four inches taller than you. Your grandmother told you you were fat, no one was ever going to love you, and you're only four inches shorter than me and you were only 30 pounds heavier than I was. Like, I get that not everybody's body is the same. We don't all hold bo our body weight in the same areas. Some of us hold it in our thighs, some of us hold it in our arms, our stomach, you know, insert area here. Yeah. But that's the thing is I don't know where you held your body weight and where those extra 30 pounds came from or went but the fact that your grandmother or anybody could look at somebody at that weight and say you're fat you're ugly nobody would ever love you blah 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 yeah and I also want to mention that we're still the same height our height hasn't changed I imagine you're probably still 5'2 yeah my sister's 5'2 right and she just had a baby I don't know her current weight, but she's so concerned with her weight compared to me. And we're not the same height. We're never going to look the same. But I'm still 5'10". You're still 5'2". I now weigh 165. I'm five pounds heavier than you were when you were 18. And we don't look the same. Because we're not the same people. And that's a standard your grandmother was holding you to that was unrealistic for who you were as a person. Yeah. And like... This was a time where I wasn't really even concerned with my weight. I was just trying to exist. Like, I was enjoying nice clothes. I was enjoying looking cute in clothes. This was back when you could go to a club at 18. So I was clubbing a lot. And I wasn't given. I was poor, so I didn't have a lot of money for food. But I wasn't really concerned about overeating or undereating. Like, I, at the time, I had a healthy relationship with food. Until, you know, that. But that's why this is such a big deal to me. Like, I'm just existing. I just want to be allowed to exist. So, did you have more information on the racial aspect of... Not as per statistics. It's more kind of just, like, anecdotal. Basically, the root of everything that we've talked about 
is based on the male gaze and Sarah Bartman. But until recently, and this is only in like select circles, the epitome of beauty and the way a woman should look is based on these slender, tall, European women. And there has never been a beauty standard in Western civilization that has been based on a person of color, regardless of our nation being flooded with people of color and having so many amazing options to pick from to set a beauty standard. But it's always been the very sleek, very slender, long-legged European women. And I think that is so unfortunate because I think we've got so many amazing women of color that should set the beauty standard. Because ultimately everything stems from Sarah Bartman and her being displayed as a freak. So I just want to mention, I know that the practice of displaying dead bodies that looked unusual was not uncommon back then, especially just in France. They have the entire French catacombs, but they also were pretty well known for having just open morgues where you could just walk in and see a dead body just because you wanted to. The idea that she was displayed because she looked different doesn't surprise me. I do know of a few stories where people had different physical disfigures or medical disorders where they were part of a freak show or a circus or a medical oddity and either they their bodies were displayed and dissected and you know looked at a bunch because yeah they looked like that or there were pictures and there's stories of this person even if for some reason hopefully because of this person was respected in death that their body wasn't but they were still well known yeah and I won't go into any detail. We can save that for later because that's a whole other thing. There's plenty of podcasts about it. But so the idea that she was one of those people doesn't surprise me. It is very unfortunate that this did happen to her. What's weird to me is that our society in general based our beauty standards off of her as opposed to one of the other medical oddities. And they didn't just see her as a medical oddity. Yeah. So it must have been... That rather than, oh, look, she's got, like, elephantitis in her rear end, or she has these really weird disfigurements, or whatever. It's that she was actually just a normal person. Yeah. But they were able to kind of prop her up and use her as an example of what not to be. No. Because, you know, imagine if they had done that with a white person. Would it have had the same effect? No way. So... There must not have been too much that different from her compared to a big white person, but it's easier to do it with a slave who has no rights even in death. Yeah, and I wish she had been used as a beauty standard, but in a positive aspect. And, you know, there is a movie about her called Venus Noir. I've not seen it myself, but it is going on the list of movies that I want to see. Some of this information came from, let me find her name, Sabrina Strings. She is a black author. I just wanted to make sure that, like, you know this is coming from a black voice. 
Fearing the Black Body. If you haven't read it, I have not read it, but it, I just, I'm adding it to my list and I'm going to be listening to it as I continue the research for the series. And it's important to listen to the experiences of people who are going through what you're talking about. So although I am fat and listen to my experience, I cannot speak on the experiences of black women, nor will I try to. I will just take what they have said and try to give it as much respect as possible. And I will always encourage you to just go listen to the black creators because first and foremost, we should be listening to them. And that's what I'm trying to get through with this message. So that's all I've got prepared. I do want to say though, that the next episode in the series of Dismantling Fat Phobia will be how fatness can be caused. So that's the next one that we're gonna be covering. And it is going to be six episodes. This has been Uncensored Sass, the podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Now that the holidays are behind us, episodes will continue in their normal bi-weekly schedule. For early access and extra content, head over to our new fan house, fanhouse.app backslash uncensored sass. Use code sass to get one month free. My name is Julia, and you can find me on my other social media using my screen name, LoserBB. That's L-O-S-E-R-B-I-B-I. Unless you look for me on Twitter, then it's L-O-S-B-R-B-I-B-I-I. We're currently cycling out all of our earlier episodes. They are still available on our YouTube channel. Speaking of YouTube, we will be using that platform to have our first live episode on February 8th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you can't make it, don't worry as we will be recording the episode and saving it for future dates. We will also be putting the audio on all of our platforms where you normally listen to our podcast. So look forward to that. Again, my name is Rye, and I can be found at the okayest all over social media. I do lots of stuff. I take pictures, I post thoughts, I stream. So you can find me everywhere at the okayest. That's T-H-3-O-K-A-Y-E-S-T. Bye! Bye.